we see uh, Jesus' triumphal, uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It is the beginning of the Feast of Pentecost, and that's why the people are gathered together here. And uh, they're getting ready for a, a great feast. And, uh, and this is right on the heels of Jesus healing Lazarus. And, and one of the greatest uh, miracles in all of Scripture, his, his famous cry, Lazarus, come forth. And, uh, and that amazing uh, miracle that took place, and the word of it had already spread about as Jesus is entering the city on a donkey, and, and coats are being thrown on the ground, and palm leaves are being thrown on the ground. Uh, the Bible says that there was a great uh, multitude that had gathered there. In John chapter 12, verse 18, it says, for this cause also, uh, also it says here, for this cause the people also met him. For they heard that he had done this miracle, speaking again of Lazarus. And so there was a a great group of people who had gathered together to welcome Jesus into the city. Now we see there in verse 18, as it said, that for this cause also met him, uh, the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. And there was some disciples there, there were some people there that were there for Jesus. They believed in him, they believed who he was, but there is also a good group of people here that are just there because of the novelty of who Jesus was. They're there because he had performed a miracle. And um, and, and so uh, people don't always have the right intentions for pursuing Jesus. They don't always go after him for the right reasons. Uh, But these people here, some were there because they believed, some were there because they wanted to see miracles. But I want to draw our attention now a little further to chapter 12, verse number 20. In uh, John chapter 12, verse 20, the Bible says, and it identifies a specific group of people. It says, and there were certain Greeks among them. Well, hang on a second here. What feast are we at again? What's the feast? Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. What are Gentiles doing at the feast of Pentecost? And they're there specifically to worship at the feast. The, The Bible doesn't say that they're there to Uh, see the miracles. They're not there because they heard of Lazarus. They're there to to worship at the feast. It's an unusual group of people, I will have to admit. They certainly seem out of place at a Jewish festival. It says in verse number 21, and the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him saying, sir, we would see Jesus. These people weren't there because they wanted to see the miracles. These Gentiles were out of place, out of their comfort zone, and really out of their blessing. (laughs) The time for Gentiles had not been opened up yet. I mean, that's going to come a little bit later. It really wasn't for them. And they were were in something. Now, we've learned, and those of you that have been in Sunday school have learned that God ordained some feasts for his people and that he allowed the opportunity that Gentiles could participate in those feasts. And, uh, and so here they are, these Gentiles participating. They obviously had seen some faith in some believers. They had seen something that was worth them placing their faith and trust in God, even though they weren't a Jew. And here they are in the, in the midst of this Pentecostal feast, and they come saying and desiring, I, I think that's an interesting term there, they desired him saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. That's a powerful phrase. And it is my desire that we would be zealously affected by that phrase. 
we would see Jesus. See, there are so many things in our lives, especially as Americans, that detract from who he is. There are so many things that can sway our vision and and cause us to lose perspective in this world in which we live. And we do have to constantly be putting in the effort and the exercise in our spiritual lives to keep our focus and attention on Jesus. If we're not careful to do so, uh, we will easily become distracted. But when your eyes are firmly set on Jesus, your faith is steadfast in him, miraculous things take place. Miraculous things. My mind goes to the book of Luke with the woman who had the issue of blood. And Jesus is walking, surrounded by people. The Bible uses the term that the crowd thronged about him. Being, in, being encountered, being bumped, being jostled, being hit. He's walking through a crowd of people who were following with him. Following after him. Nothing unusual has taken place though. But as he walks through that crowd, that woman with the issue of blood reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and stop! Who touched me? Who touched me? And the Bible says that they all denied. Oh, it wasn't me. How could you deny? (laughs) And Peter says, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're in the middle of a riot. (laughs) We can't tell you who touched you. But he says, somebody touched me. Somebody got a hold of me like no one else had. Someone saw me for who I truly am. And somebody reached out and touched me like I hadn't been touched in this crowd. And I perceive that virtue has gone out from me because somebody had their eyes on Jesus. Because somebody was looking. Yeah, they were all going the same direction. They were all in close proximity to Jesus. But one lady had it a different way than the rest. There are a lot of Christians going the way with Jesus. But, does Jesus know that you've gotten a hold of him? When could he have said of me or you that because of our encounter, he perceived that virtue had gone out from him? You see, these Grecians who came to Jesus in in John chapter 12, they wanted to get a hold of Jesus in a different way than all of those people who had gathered for that feast. They had a desire in their heart and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus! We need that today. We live in an apathetic age. We live in an age of 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 conformity and and comfortableness. There is a lot of truth to that song that we would rather stay at the table. It's a lot easier there. 
than going out. It's a lot easier than, than sacrificing. I know in my own life I, I battle with that. In wanting security. In wanting safety. But am I willing to sacrifice that when it's that or getting a hold of Jesus? When it's my own comfortableness, my flesh, or getting a hold of Jesus. I, I want us tonight to draw our attention back to Jesus. I think this is a, one of the best ways we can start off our missions conference. You know, often we, we say, oh, look to the fields and look to the harvest and, and look to this and look to the souls. And our eyes do affect our hearts. And look at those who are lost and dying in the video presentations. And we'll see that. Those are all important and we need that. But one of the greatest motivating factors should be the greatest motivating factors in our lives is none other than Jesus Christ. And I think all of our problems and all of our needs and all of the surrender and all of the, all of the boxes that need to be checked in a missions conference would be done if our eyes were turned upon Jesus. And if we looked at Him the way that we ought to. And so tonight, the idea. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. I pray that you would bless the hearing of it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have humility in our hearts. That the preaching of the word as it goes forth, whether rebuke or exhortation or reproof, that it would have its way, the way that, and, and will, the way that you want it to be in our hearts and our lives. May your Holy Spirit go forth and may you bring change in us. Lord, may this missions conference be honoring and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In John chapter 12, as we look here, the Grecians come, and, and it, it is an anomaly even to the disciples because Andrew goes tells Peter, Peter tells, well, I, I actually can't remember what three disciples, but there's a, there's a transition that takes place. They go tell one, the one goes tell the other, the other goes tells the other, and then they end up with Jesus and saying, Jesus, there's some Grecians over here and they want to see you. And Jesus goes on to begin to explain that it's time. You know what, guys? It's time. It's time for me to die on the cross. My, my time has come, it's time for me to be glorified. And if you look in verse number 32, he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The first thing that I want us to note this evening is that we need to look to Jesus at the cross. If we're to turn our attention back to Jesus, there's, there's some specific places that I want you to go in your mind's eye when you're trying to refocus your attention on who He is and what He's done. And the first place I want to take you is, I want to take you back to the cross. I want to take you to the place where uh, what we know as Christianity for us today began. On that old rugged cross. Where Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, signifying the, the crucifixion that would take place as that cross was lifted off of the ground, uh, hoisted into the air with chains. And as that centerpiece of that cross would make a thud and suddenly fall into the bottom of a pit that had been prepared, 
Our mind goes and we begin to picture this cross as Jesus is on that cross and the post falls into that hole and his body is ripped joint from joint. We see him crucified with nails in his hands and in his feet, stripped into his nakedness, his shame revealed crown of thorns placed and pressed into his head and his skull. We see his body whipped and ripped. For love for you and me. We need to look back at the cross. We need to look at the cross. This is the source of our salvation. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 10 through 12, the Bible says, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught, for you, uh, set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is, thou, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. When we look at the cross, first of all, we see at the cross our salvation. We see what Jesus Christ accomplished for us as He was lifted up and suspended between heaven and earth for my sin and for your sin, paying the consequences of it. This world in which we live has so many pleasures and comforts, and I don't know how to explain it to you, how it can draw our attention away from such great a salvation, how we can lose the wonder of it all, but you know and can identify with me in this, that it can fade. We can, we can talk about it, and we can sing about it, and we can teach about it, but somehow in the week to week, and the day to day, and the busy grind of our lives, if we're not careful, and if we're not intentional, and if we're not uh, purposeful in taking our vision and turning it back to Jesus, we will lose the fact that He saved us. The, the wonder of it, it, it just dissipates. Oh, what a sad fact that is. It's not a good thing, but it is very true. When we look at the cross, we not only see our salvation, but when we look to Jesus at the cross, and because of the cross, we see our identity. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the Bible tells us, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross, because I can look and put my attention back on Him and see my salvation, and that He's redeemed me, I now have the identity of being able to call Him Abba, Father. Oh, we look around in the world in which we live today, and you know what? Our identities are lost. So many Christians are walking around aimlessly. Young people are certainly the most susceptible to this. Lose your identity in Christ and what He's done. Young people, it's not about the car you drive, it's not about the money in your bank account. 
It's not about the boyfriend or girlfriend. They don't give you identity and worth in this world. It is only through Jesus Christ that you'll have the identity that you desire and what you're truly looking for. But this is not just young people. This is adults alike. We lose our identity in this world. What Christ has done for us. We seek to go after our our own (laughs) means of identification. It's not your home. It's not your spouse. It's not your family. They don't identify you. But when you take your eyes off of Jesus, when you take your eyes off of Jesus at that cross, salvation just seems to disappear. And what your true identity is goes right with it. You begin to to go out and, and seek a new identity in this world. But we're not of this world. This world is not our home. We're not citizens here. We're not staying here. And your value will not be found here. You're to be in here, but not of here. But when you take your eyes off of Jesus, you lose your identity. Secondly, this evening, I want you to turn your eyes back to Jesus and look to Jesus as the Word. Look to Jesus as the Word. John chapter 1, verse number 1. Would you turn over there? Luke, you're in Luke and John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse number 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, we look out in the world today, I was talking about this in Sunday school this morning, we see so many that are living their own truths, and it's easy to identify that out in the world and look at them and say, look at what they're doing, but far too many inside the walls of the church are living their own truths as well. We are distorting the word of God and using it as an occasion to the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So many today are using the word of God to, to manipulate and justify their own actions. You may say, how can somebody do that? I don't know. I hear examples. I, just the other day I was talking with these asphalt guys and one of them, a Bible believer, a uh, a child of God is talking about his daughter went to a church and after the, after the church service or the Bible study they were having, they had fellowship and they served alcohol. What? What? I'm sure there's a biblical reason for it. Oh, just the, the Bible just says don't, just don't be a drunkard. <laughs> Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. There's all kinds of manipulation for truth. I watched a portion of a King James Bible debate the other day. And honestly, one a fundamental independent Baptist and one a not fundamental independent Baptist, and both of them use the Word of God in a manipulative way. There are people 
in all spectrums, in all areas, and it's an age-old truth that people will use God's word and try to twist it and contort it to get their way in any way they can. The devil did it. It's been his practice, and he'll continue to do it. But you know what? That's when I look at this world, and I see people are wanting to do their own thing, and they'll find any way to justify it. But when I get my eyes turned back to Jesus and see him as the word, you know what I see? That there is truth. That there is absolute truth. In John chapter 17, verse number 13, the Bible says, And now come I to thee, and these things speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them the, thy word. And the, and the word hath hate, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. This is Jesus speaking. He's praying about his disciples. And in verse number 15 he says, And I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou, that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is Jesus speaking about his disciples, and, and here they are. These are, these are committed disciples, and, and he says of them right in this passage that they're not of the world. He's not praying for their salvation. He's praying that sanctification would take place in their life through the truth of God's word. He's praying that they would become pure, that they would become clean, that they would become more dedicated, that a fire would be lit in their faith, and that they would be more fervent in their service. Sanctification is, is a process that begins with salvation. And he's praying, he's saying, I, I pray for my disciples that they, that they would be sanctified. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Telltale sign that a believer has probably taken their eyes off Jesus is an attitude of self-righteousness and not a need for sanctification. More and more we see today that believers uh, uh, feel that they're right with God, but they're abandoning biblical truth. We know that that's certainly the sign with, of a generation that will say that they are increased with good and have need of nothing. You know what, though? The Bible is never enough justification for right for people who don't read the Bible. You know, it's amazing how the world can take a little verse here and a little verse there and a little verse here and a little verse there and a little verse here and a little verse there and they can pre present any truth that they want. God is love, right? Isn't that probably the most profound truth that they have taken and distorted? But we have absolute truth. And we may look around us and say, oh man, there's so many people just going their own way, doing their own thing. Get your eyes off of them and get your eyes back on Jesus. Look to Him. In Him is truth. And that's what you and I need. We need truth. And we'll find it in Him. But not only when we look to Jesus do we see truth, but as the Word we also see our calling. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, and I, I've got to hurry here tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us 
and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, Verse number 11, because of this purpose and the grace that we see in verse number 9, Paul then says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. We need to turn our attention back to God as the Word because He has a calling for us. He has a purpose for us in this life. We, we don't have our own agenda, church. We're not supposed to have our own agenda. We are here for a reason. And this world is so distracting and we take our eyes off of Jesus and before we know it, we're out pursuing our own agenda. We're out going our own way. We're out doing our own thing. But the calling that He's called us with, the purpose with which He's left us here, is abandoned. But nobody can take your place. Nobody can fulfill your calling. Only you can. What are you doing with that, that calling? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That calling... That every believer has to give themselves up and turn themselves over to God. But it will only happen if our eyes are firmly set on Him. I've seen many, many, many young people sit through preaching and go to conferences and camps where they're just inundated. You have no choice but to look at Jesus. And they make these decisions and they surrender themselves and then they get out of that environment and they get their attention back off of Jesus. And you know what happens? The calling goes with it. Why is that? Because our eyes are not in the right place. Because this world just attracts us so readily. And it may happen with young people and it happens with adults alike. We're in desperate need of someone to plant a church. We can't find them. Do you think God laid that burden on our hearts as a church and that command and that instruction, but isn't supplying the need? Is he not calling somebody? Is there not someone who will stand up like Isaiah and say, I'll go? But our eyes, where are our eyes? They're on this world, which so easily detracts from him church tonight we've got to turn our eyes back to Jesus and when we see him as the word we find truth and we find a calling that gives us purpose in our lives and causes us to want to continue on because the truth doesn't change and there's a world that's lost and hopeless and we have it right in our hand with a calling to take it out turn your eyes back to Jesus at the cross Turn your eyes back to Jesus as the Word. Turn your eyes back to Jesus as our example. There is undoubtedly testings and trials that come in our lives. Times when we will question or be uncertain. But praise the Lord, He's left us an example. 
We may not know the next step to take, but he's left for us an example. And I want to just point out two things about Christ's example. And that is, first of all, when we look our, take our attention and look to Jesus as our example, first of all, we find inspiration. Do you remember Luke chapter 24? I don't have time to read it this evening, but Luke chapter 24 is... They were walking on that road to Emmaus. Discouraged. And a stranger came into their midst and said, why are you having such sad conversation? Why is your conversation so sad? What, what's, taking, what's going on in your life that you're so downtrodden? Well, didn't you hear? Didn't you hear about Jesus, the prophet, the miracle worker? Didn't you hear how he was crucified? And here they are down in the dumps. The lowest of low. They're crawling on their bellies. We put all of our hope and our trust and our faith. And then he's gone. And what do we do? And oh no. And here he is walking with them. The Bible says that he begins to, to expound to them. And he begins to teach them. And he begins to speak with authority to them. And all of a sudden, we get down to the end of the thing, and and in verse number 32, and Jesus finally reveals himself to them. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the Scriptures? Hey, we got to get our eyes back on Jesus, because you and I need some inspiration. Too many are discouraged. Too many are downtrodden. Too many are unsure and and, and really just don't have enough faith to take that step of obedience. But if we'll take our eyes and refocus them on Jesus, we'll find the inspiration we need. When is the last time your heart burned? When did it burn? I've got to do something. Urgency. This world is going to burn. That lost soul is going to burn. They're going to spend an eternity in, the ha- in hell. My heart is burning. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I'm going to take a step. But it doesn't happen until our eyes are fixed where it ought to be. Until our eyes are on Jesus. And we'll receive inspiration. When we turn our eyes to Jesus as our example, we see inspiration, but we also see endurance. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul said, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. There's something about when you turn your eyes to Jesus and you get to know who he truly is. It'll give you the strength you need to continue on. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Man, what an untapped power that is. The power of his resurrection. What Christ performed and, and the, uh, the, the, the magnificent power that was demonstrated as he conquered death and hell. And that I may know that kind of power in my own personal life. I may know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, me being made conformable unto his death. Endurance. Paul was saying, hey, I, 
I, I want to get in this thing for the long haul, and I want to know who's really powering my, my engines. I want to know him personally, intimately. I want to begin to experience what the power of his resurrection in my life truly means. Get your eyes off of Jesus, and you'll be barely making it day to day. Week to week. You'll be discouraged and you'll be downtrodden. You won't know how to continue on. You don't know what to do. You won't know what turn to make. You'll just be like, oh man, it just seems like I'm being bombarded at every corner. Hey, you can be bombarded on every corner, but if you've got the power of his resurrection powering your engine, I'm telling you, you're going to be able to continue on. You're going to be able to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, praise the Lord. When I feel like I'm discouraged, I can look to Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of my faith. And I see an example of endurance. He went through it so that we could identify with him. And he left us an example. Church tonight, I want to draw your attention back to Jesus. Look to him at the cross where we find our salvation and identity. Look to Jesus as the word where he gives us truth and a calling. Look to Jesus as our example who gives us inspiration and endurance. But now I want to wrap it up really quickly here tonight. The, this message doesn't work without spending that time causing us to focus back on who he is. Because something special takes place when you and I are with Jesus. I think sometimes we forget where to even look. And that's why I've given some focal points for us. But as our focus is really truly turned on Jesus, can I share with you an example of what will take place. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and just one verse here. Verse number 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Peter and John, let's just stop there. They're having a conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had just been the conduit that God had used to heal a leper of 40 years. They had performed a miracle that was undeniable. These Pharisees and Sadducees saw the man. They knew who he was before. They knew what his life was like. And they saw the transformation standing right there. The Bible says that they could not say a word against it. But then they're looking at these two men and they're saying, what is the deal with these two men? They're speaking with boldness. They're speaking with power. Who are these guys? Where did they come from? And they are questioning Peter and John. And 
They lay it straight out for them. Can I tell you, they lay it out with eloquence. If you take the time and read all the previous passage, you're going to see Peter and John, man, they just lay it out. It's so crystal clear. We're, we're preaching and we're teaching not in our own power, not in our own strength. Let me tell you who we're teaching and preaching about. We're teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. And we're going forth in His name because of what He's done. The people, the stone that you rejected. That's who we're talking about. And they don't like what they're hearing from Peter and John. It probably feels a little familiar to them, but they can't put their finger on it. They don't like how they're revealing their hearts with wisdom, like a serpent, but they're harmless as doves. And Peter and John are teaching and they're preaching with boldness. You see, a lot of these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they probably knew who Peter and John were. I bet some of them might have even heard Peter deny Jesus three times. I bet you some of these men saw the disciples scatter as Jesus was arrested in the garden. And now they're standing here with boldness. We thought we had squashed this. We crucified Christ. He was dead. How are these men who, who had denied and who had abandoned, who had run away, how are they speaking with such boldness now? Not only that, as we continue in our verse here, and perceived, they, now they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned. These, these men were, they're unlearned. They, they're not highly educated. I'm not saying they were idiots either, by the way. Obviously, they had an ability to communicate that God had given them, but it was miraculous, and these Pharisees and these Sadducees are taking note. These men are unlearned. They're They're fishermen. They're breadwinners. They're sustenance living people. They're backwoods. They're hicks. They're rednecks. How are they talking like this and with such authority? How are they confronting us? They're unlearned and they're ignorant. They haven't been to university. They haven't sat with the rabbis. We are Pharisees of the Pharisees. We know all of this stuff. And when they speak, when they, when they talk, there's, we're learning from them. What in the world is happening with these guys? They're unlearned and they're ignorant and they're speaking with boldness. How is this possible? Again, it all seems very familiar, but they can't place their finger on it. And then they took knowledge. And I don't know where that knowledge came from. I don't know if it came from a witness. I don't know if one of those guys said, oh, I got it. I know what's going on here. I don't know where the knowledge came from, but at some point it clicked. These guys were with Jesus. These guys have been with Jesus. That's what we've been feeling. That's what's been cutting to the, the heart. 
That's that familiarity that we couldn't put our finger on because Jesus had sliced and diced those Pharisees so many times with simple truth and now they're getting sliced and diced again. But it's not the same man. But you know who it is? It's the men who had been with Jesus. And although they were unlearned and although they were ignorant and although they shouldn't have had any knowledge or boldness or any ability to stand and proclaim and to teach, they could because they had been with Jesus. Were they perfect? No, they weren't perfect. Were they flawed men? Yes, they were flawed men. Had they abandoned him? Had they denied him? Yes, they had. But they got their eyes fixed at some point, and they saw Jesus ascend up into the clouds. And he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Now I'm going to send you the comforter. And these disciples get into an upper room and they start to pray. They get their eyes turned to Jesus. And a mighty rushing wind comes in. And then all of a sudden, here they are. Pentecost. 5,000 men are about to be saved here. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Every need that our church has for missions, every heart that needs to be surrendered, every person who needs to turn to God and obey his call, every person in this room today who's not a soul winner that needs to be a soul winner, Every issue regarding missions in our Christian lives would be self-correcting if we would get our eyes on Jesus. But it has to be your own desire. Do you remember those Grecians? They desired. Sirs, we would. See Jesus. Are you seeing him? When's the last time you saw him? When's the last time you walked away from it saying, man, I received virtue today? Have you ever? There is such great need in the world in which we live. And I could point our attention to that, sure. But as we begin this missions conference, can I challenge you to turn your eyes upon Jesus? He is the word. He's the truth. He's given us a calling. But we've got to get our eyes back on him. And, and, and I'll be the first to admit to you that we can hear a truth like this on a Sunday night and walk out of this room with Holy Spirit conviction in our lives. 
and our eyes not be turned to him tomorrow morning. And that's the problem. Therein lies the problem. It's so quick. The devil snatches those seeds right out of our hearts. But God will still use you. And he'll still use me just like he used those men, Peter and John, if we'll get our focus back on him. We have got to get our focus on him. This world, is, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's temporal. It's weak. It's flawed. There is such a greater thing coming. Let's get our eyes on him. The old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Church, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. All of the needs will be met. The missions offering will be exactly what it should be. The lives surrendered will be exactly what they ought to be. A church on fire will be exactly what we ought to be if our eyes will be turned to Jesus. Father, we do thank you for this evening and thank you for your word. Lord, this world needs us to be in touch with you. I, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us and that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would stay with us as we move forward into this week of missions conference. May we not so easily lose the principle and the truth. May our eyes be turned to you. Lord, you, you're in need of us being in touch with you as well because you've left, left us with a commission. Someone's got to do the job. Help us to keep our focus and our attention on you the way that it ought to be. And may the world know, may they take note that we've been with you. Would you stand with me this evening and